is Exodus 20 is where the Ten Commandments are found. Now, many of you know about the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are so popular in our country. You may be able to find them in a government building or in a school building or on a yard sign in somebody's yard. And we are familiar with the Ten Commandments. Now, God has a law. God is a big God, a true God, a real God, and a holy God. And God has a law in which he has explained to us so many things that he wants us to know. God has a word in which he has communicated to us so many things that he wants us to know. God is passionate about us knowing him. I loved Brian Kaiser telling the stories that he told. I've heard many of you say, man, I could have listened to him for hours, right? He preached shorter than I do, but I could have listened to him for a long time. I definitely sat downstairs during lunch today and I thought, I could sit here in this parenting conversation for two more hours listening to them talk about parenting. It's a big deal to me and it matters and, and, and I was in all of that. And while he was telling stories this morning, I'm sure you called it, he mentioned two passages of scripture that stuck with him in college when he began reading the Bible by himself for the first time. You remember that? And one of them was 1 John chapter 5, verse 13 that says that you can know that you have eternal life. Now, these things were written to those of you who believe in the name of the Son of, Je Son of God, Jesus, that you may know that you have eternal life. And he said, he said, it was the first time that I was hearing and learning from God that you can have an assurance of salvation. You can know that you are saved. You can know that your sins are forgiven. You can know that you are right with God. You can know that God is your Father and you are God's child. You can be sure and certain of that. And he told us that this morning. Well, that's what God is. God is a loving God, a Father in heaven to his children. But how do you get into that relationship? The Bible teaches us that God is not the father of everybody. If you've not heard me say this before, God is fatherly to everyone. But he's only the father to those who have become his children. Let me say that again. God is fatherly to everyone, but he is only the father to those who have become his children. And how do you become a child of God? You, you, come, you become a child of God when you are accepted into, adopted into, welcomed into God's family. Well, how does that happen? And tonight I want to teach you this, this from the Ten Commandments. God gave his people rules. And we know what rules are. They're good for us. Rules are to help us. I'm thankful that there's a speed limit on the Gene Snyder freeway, right? I'm thankful that there are stop signs and stoplights. We know what rules are. They're good for us. They help us understand what we should do, and they help us understand what we shouldn't do, and they guard us, and they protect us, and this is why God gave us his word. But I want to remind you that in God giving us these rules, the Ten Commandments, along with his law, that he did not give us, listen, he did not give us these, these rules first. For the Bible introduces this idea that there are promises from God and there are laws from God. I want to ask you here tonight if you believe in the promises of God. 
For when we start talking about that God has made promises, God has made promises to us, God has made promises through his word, those are separate than the laws of God. And this will really, really, really challenge you. We tend to be a people hung up on the rules of God more than we are on the promises of God. In God's promises, he says, I will love you forever. We have more people, listen to me, we have more people worked up wanting the laws of God hung up than they do over the promises of God. God says in his promises, I will be your father. You will be my people forever. His promises are so sweet. I introduced that here at the beginning to get you thinking about, okay, so what, what's the relationship then between the promises of God and the laws of God? What are the promises intended to do for us? And what are the laws intended to do for us? Which one leads us to God? Which one leads us to heaven? Which one leads us to say, like Brian was comforted by, I am sure of my salvation. I am resting in Jesus. I am confident in Jesus. I am a child of God. Is it the laws of God or is it the promises of God? Well, let's look at the Ten Commandments tonight. I hope you know them, but let's look back at them and get a, get a feel for them. Exodus chapter 20, verse 1. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You should not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You should not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy? Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. 
Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and they said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen. But do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you, look at this, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. When God was giving the law to Moses there on Mount Sinai, up on the mountain in the uh, secluded place where Moses received it from God, when he comes to the people and the people see and saw all that had happened, their answer was, hey, don't let that God talk to us. You, you talk to You tell us what he said. And Moses said, well, hey, hey, settle down a little bit. God gave this to you so that you may not sin. And partly, listen to me, partly, so much of the issue that we need to discuss with the Ten Commandments is, is our sin, okay? Partly is our sin. God has given us these rules, and they're good for us, and rules and laws are good for us, and they help us start to have a, a, a shaping of our understanding of our sin and where we are and the things that we do and the bad things that we do and why we do the things that we do, and God gives us these laws. I remember several years ago, we had a college student here. He was from way, way, way out of town. He was only a member of our church for like two years. But he had had a pretty tough, difficult, challenging life. He had been really, really far from God. He had been caught up in all sorts of things. And then, by the grace of God in college, he had entered into a Bible study. And God had saved his life. He had come to know Jesus. And he had been changed. And I remember him sharing with us one time, kind of sharing his testimony with us about how he had come to know Jesus and how he had turned from his sins and how God had changed his life. And I remember him saying to us, what I've learned is that God's way is the best way. If you don't know that phrase, then I want to encourage you to remember that phrase, God's way is the best way. And then once you've learned that phrase, God's way is the best way, I want you to devote yourself and commit yourself to saying what do we mean when we say God's way. What's God's way to have a conversation with somebody? What's God's way to hold a job or have a work ethic? What's God's way to handle money? What's God's way to handle sex? What's God's way to handle beef? What's God's way to handle being wronged or being sinned against and handling forgiveness? And God's way is the best way. Well, you might think that the Ten Commandments are a way to sort out God's way, and they certainly are. Remember, Moses' words were, you have this so that you may not sin, Exodus 20, 20, that you may not sin. Well, let's look at these Ten Commandments. Number one is verses two and three. You shall have no other gods before me. Since life is all about God and life is all about uh, being a, in a relationship with God and being a child of God and all that, then it is very logical and sensible to say there's only one God. God communicates to us time and time again in his word that there is only one God. And so his first commandment of all is that nothing else, nothing else gets in the way with God being God. There's only one God. 
And I'm not sure what you're devoted to or what you worship. I'm not sure if you're even comfortable with saying, I worship God. I'm not sure if you said you went to church or if you went to worship. I'm not sure if you had to be here or if you get to be here. And I'm not sure if you're comfortable with being a worshiper of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not sure if you're okay with bowing your knee and confessing with your mouth that Christ is Lord and that he is worthy of all worship. I'm not sure if you like to sing on Sunday mornings when Joe leads us through these these great songs. I'm not sure if you like to check your phone then or just stay quiet or just say, I don't really like the songs or what. But I want you to understand that God has made it very clear. He is the only God. And he is deserving of complete adoration. We are to adore him. We are to worship him. We are to bow down to him. And to get that wrong means we don't even need to have any more discussions on the other nine commandments. There is one God. There should be nothing in your life in the place of God. Nothing. I am God, and you should put nothing before me, he says. That's all-encompassing, isn't it? Because anything else that we're going to talk about here in the rest of the commandments is going to speak to whether we're trusting and acting and believing on the first one. But he goes on. Commandment number two, verse four. Because there is only one God... You shall never allow anything to even move in the direction of getting into that place. Now, we certainly know that a false idol or an image of something uh, should not be worshipped. But what happens is, so often, is we struggle to know God in a personal way. Listen to me. We struggle to know God in a personal way. Meaning he's a spirit, and the Bible says nobody's ever seen him, right? We just studied that in Hebrews this week. Nobody's ever seen God. And we struggle to know God in a personal way, or people don't know him in a personal way. And so then, with with good intentions often, they start to make something that they say represents God. An image. The second commandment here in verse 4 puts an end to that right away. You shall not make for yourself a carved image. Or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water underneath. And you shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Commandment 1 says there is only one God and nothing should be before him. And commandment 2 says you need to be very careful to make sure that you're in a personal relationship with that God. So that there's not anything else that is representing him in a way that does not represent him. We don't need a statue of God. We don't need a picture of God. We don't need something like that that we're calling God or or that we're devoted to. God is a spirit. He's our Father in heaven. We know where he sits. He's there. And we call on him by faith, right? We are believing in something that we have not seen because we have heard who he is and heard what he's like. We have heard his promises and we are believing in those. He says there, no images, no idols, don't make anything. Now, this is the problem with so many people. Think about Think about how many people who say they're Christians that still have so much more devotion into something that they call angels. I hear people talk more about angels than they talk about God from Christian people. Think about how many other people in the world who 
are not in the Christian religion who need some idol. We, 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 we need something to put uh, tangible there for us. And God says, no, you don't. And just a few chapters later here, in the book of Exodus, remember, he's already brought them out of slavery from Egypt. God's going to call Moses up on the mountain, and it takes a while. And the people say, we don't know what's happened with Moses. He's been gone a while. And they call Aaron over and they say, can you help us out, man? We don't know what happened to Moses. And right there, the people of God, with one of God's men, Aaron, make an idol. They take all the gold and they make it into a calf so they can worship it. And you know what they say? This is the God that brought us out of slavery in Egypt. This is the God that rescued us. That's what they say. You see what's happening? They knew what God had done for them. But they didn't really have that relationship with him. So they were taking all the things of God, like deliverance, like power, like working in them, like speaking to them, and they didn't really know where to put it, and so they just wanted something to put it to. It doesn't sound that bad. It's bad. Y'all, worship is about the heart. Worship is done by faith. Loving God is not in something that you do so much. It's in where your heart is, where it rests, what it trusts in. That's what faith is. And so God speaks up in the second commandment and says, you don't need something to act like it's me to put in my place. You worship through the Spirit. Number three, verse seven. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. It's the big one, isn't it? In 2018 in our world, it's real easy to just say you shouldn't talk bad about God. And, and that works, right? That, that's what it's about, right? We shouldn't be talking about, about Jesus if we're not meaning uh, worship. We shouldn't be saying uh, God if we're not talking about that. I mean, it's so common for people to throw around OMG, oh my God, and they're not talking about their faith in God. They're meaning it in a, in, in a way. Now, you can say oh my God and, and mean oh my God, like I believe in this God and I'm taken back, right? Not, not every OMG is a, is a sinful thing, but many are. We have the phrase GD, and y'all know what GD is. This is taking God's name in vain. And then we've got all sorts of movies that like to make fun of Jesus and call him sweet baby Jesus. And I know you've heard that before too, and people love to say that. They, they just think it's comical. Y'all, he was only a baby for a little bit. You know what he is now? A king on a throne. Why would you still call him sweet baby Jesus? Because you're not worshiping him. But those types of things are not even really what this is getting at. It's, 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 it's ridiculous, to be quite honest, to think that people would talk about God in a mocking, irreverent, disrespectful way. But people do, so we have to say that. This isn't addressing that. It goes without saying. I hope everybody here tonight knows if you're going to talk about God in a flippant, joking manner, you don't worship him. But what it's talking about here, listen to me, is when you're trying to use your word and you bring God alongside of it, 
and you use that wrongly. You take his name in vain. I can't tell you how many times I've seen a bunch of kids arguing. One said, no, I swear to God I didn't say that. I swear to God I didn't do it, right? You've heard people say that too. That's what this commandment is talking about. You're not being honest with yourself and your truthfulness and your character has not come out to where you can just say, my yes is my yes and my no is my no. So you want to bring God into it. Similar to like taking an oath with your hand on the Bible. Using God to try to show how truthful or honest or sincere you are, bringing God into it but not doing it genuinely. The third commandment is, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. When we talk about God, when anybody talks about God, they should be talking about God. The third commandment says, be careful with what you say about God. Fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath day and to keep it holy. Y'all, this is the, this is the first commandment that comes at us as a, as, a, as a positive more than a negative. The others are saying you shouldn't. The fourth one says, hey, do this. Y'all, this commandment is awesome. This commandment is teaching us that we need to rest. God did this himself. God worked for six days in creation. On the seventh day, he rested. The Bible is teaching us that we need to rest. When we get into the New Covenant and the New Testament, the Bible is teaching us that this commandment goes away and that our rest is in Christ. We're to be a people who understand rest. We're to be a people who understand we don't earn things. There are some days when you're on the job, listen to me, there are some days when you're on the job and five o'clock comes and you wish that you could just hit the punch the clock and, and get out of there. But you know what? There's more that needs to be done. It must be done. And so you stay and you keep working and you keep working and you keep working. The other day, me and Val had a parent-teacher conference up at the school. We met with two different teachers. School gets out at 3.45. We met with the teachers there. Our meeting was at 4. We met for like an hour. Then we watched some soccer practice. It was 5.30, and I turned the corner, and I saw Miss Emily Farmer there still at the school. And I thought to myself, she's been there all day. Why is she still here? I didn't ask her that, but I knew there must have been things to get done, right? Y'all, that's the way life is. You've got to do what you've got to do, but listen to me. When it comes to you being a child of God and having a relationship with God, being in the love of God will never be earned. If you're still thinking, I've got to go to church, I've got to do this, I've got to stay up all night, read my Bible, I've got to do this. If you are bringing that guilt upon yourself, thinking, I've got to do more, be better, behave better, obey more, in hopes that God might accept you, you have not understood. And the fourth commandment on rest is moving us in that direction. Fifth commandment, honor your father and your mother. Y'all, all the other commandments are coming at us as negatives, thou shalt not. But only eight of the Ten Commandments, only eight of the Ten Commandments are thou shalt nots. The fourth is remember the Sabbath, and the fifth is honor your father and your mother. I've said this many times before. But if you were making only 10 rules to govern the world, would you have remembered to put mom and dad in there? That's strong. Family matters. Honor your father and mother. Number six, you shall not murder. It's wrong to kill. You shall not murder. Number seven, you shall not commit adultery. 
God has given us sexual intimacy. God has made us people that desire that. And God in his goodness has shown us the boundaries of where it works well. And outside of those boundaries, it just brings more and more shame and guilt and pain and hurt. Whether it be computers and phones with porn and lust, whether it be addiction and abuse like rape and molestation, whether it be uh, uh, obsession, or whether it just be an adulterous affair like we read about here, it's not good and it hurts. God knows that, and so he told us, don't do it. Now, with these two here, do not murder and do not commit adultery, there are many people who often will say, well, I've never done those. I'll be honest with you all, I've never killed anyone. And so we often think like that. But I want to remind you on these two, do not murder and do not commit adultery, that Jesus picks this up in his Sermon on the Mount, his longest sermon in the New Testament, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And Jesus says, I know y'all have heard the commandments, do not murder and do not commit adultery, but I want to take them a little bit further. For the issue is of the heart. And if you've ever hated anyone, then in your heart you are wanting to murder them. If you've ever lusted before at a woman, in your heart you are committing adultery. You may not have done the actual deed, but inside your heart there is a sinfulness, a breaking of these commandments with murder and do not commit adultery. The eighth commandment is you shall not steal. Now we are not to steal. That's simple, isn't it? Why? Why does God want us to not steal? Well, the Bible teaches us that we're to be content in God. The Bible teaches us that God is a provider. God has told us that he will take care of us. He will give us all that we need. But also, let's take it a step further. The Bible also teaches us that everything is owned by God. So that anything that he gives to us for us to own, whether it be our house or our car, or as you've heard me pray earlier today, or whether it be our children, whether it be our clothes, whether it be our bank accounts, listen to me, whether it be our health or our looks or whatever it may be, you have it because God gave it to you. When you start stealing, you're taking something from somebody that God wants them to have. See, you can always say, God doesn't want you to have that, that's not yours. But you're also taking something that God wants them to have. If God so graciously gave you a brain, or money, or a child. It's not ours to take. We are to understand God gave that to them. And we are to be Hearing God say, don't steal. We say, okay, I'm going to trust God with what he's given to whoever he's given it, including myself. The ninth commandment, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. We're not to lie. We're not to be deceitful. We're not to trick people, not to be dishonest. The tenth commandment, the last one, you shall not covet. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. And it goes on with other things too. And while many of these commandments, listen to me, are seen as outward things, this 10th commandment comes in and kind of rocks our world because this one gets right to a heart issue. Now you and I know, especially off of Jesus' teaching in the New Testament, we can take all of the 10 commandments and quickly get to how it is a heart issue, right? 
But when we're just saying other gods, say, okay, I only got one God, I'm a Christian. No idols, okay, I don't have any idols, okay? Don't take the Lord's name in vain, okay? I haven't taken the Lord's name in vain. And we can do that on all of them. When you get to the 10th commandment and it says do not covet, that one's a little bit harder to gauge. Is there a desire inside of you for things that you should not be desiring? Do you wish your body was like somebody else's body? Do you wish your smile was like somebody else's smile or your happiness behind the smile was like somebody else's happiness? Do you wish somebody's family was more like your family or your family was more like their family? Or we could go on and on and on. Do you wish somebody's good fortune was your good fortune? This is what it means to covet. As a flip side of the reverse to thou shalt not steal, we covet when we're not content with who we are or rather who God is to us. But we don't do anything about it when we're coveting. It certainly probably leads to that. But the 10th commandment wants us to not even get to that. It's dealing with the heart. Now let me tell you, you know these 10 commandments. I've just very briefly on a very surface level explained those to you tonight. Those are God's 10 rules. And I'm going to tell you, your home, Fairdale, Kentucky, the USA, the world would be a better place if we lived by those, wouldn't it? But listen to me, folks. The sermon's not over. And for everybody you know that that's all their message is, you're getting it way wrong. God's way is the best way. And to the extent that we can, we should be following that and obeying that. But let me give you a rude awakening here today. We don't obey those. The message is that you shall not sin, that you may not sin. Exodus 20, 20, that's what Moses told them. But anybody who is open and honest with themselves reads that and thinks, man, it sounds awesome. And when I do do it, it's helpful. And when the, uh, when the, when the community does it, it's good. And it is good for us. I know God's way is the best way. But what about all the times that I haven't? What about all the times that I haven't? I want you to hear me tonight that while God's word is to teach you how to live rightly, And that is certainly its purpose. God's word through the Ten Commandments has an even stronger meaning. The purpose of the Ten Commandments is to have you read that and not say, man, the world will be a better place, but to say, we need help doing that. We need help doing that. The help is Jesus. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 2, and we'll close up here. Galatians chapter 2. Now, I know that's a little bit hard for y'all to find, but I want you to get there. I'm going to tell you what page it is in the Pew Bible. Galatians chapter 2 is found on 1072. If you're using this black Pew Bible, it's page 1072. Galatians chapter 2. Now, you remember when I said all that at the beginning about law and promises? I'm serious about this. If you're wanting to rest and trust in the promises of God and be in his love and feel secure in who you are and like Brian mentioned, have assurance of your salvation that your sins are forgiven, do you get those from the law of God? Now, you're a Christian. You walked in, many of you are Christians, and you walked in here today with a whole world of things. You may have heard a sermon this morning. You may have loved the songs that we just sang. There's a lot forming who you are. But I want to listen. I want you to imagine somebody that's never read the Bible before, never heard a sermon before, 
never heard of Jesus before. And if all you gave them was the Ten Commandments, can you think that that would be uplifting to them? No. It would not be. Can you imagine right now going to some of the places where Brian Kaiser lives and operates? Can you imagine he talked about there being thousands of unchurched or unreached people groups, people who have never heard the name of Jesus? Can you imagine if you got to go there and you got to speak their language and you said, we got something for you. Here are ten laws. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, and don't do this. We'll see you later. You think that's going to lift them up? We're out of line when that is the only thing we're emphasizing. It's good for us. But it's good for us because it points us to the promises. We're to take the law of God and say, how do I make sense of the law of God with the promises of God? And this is exactly what Galatians is teaching us. Look with me in Galatians chapter 2. Oh, sorry, chapter 3. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Chapter 3, verse 19. He asked this question, why then the law? Why do we have the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now, an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Verse 21, is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, uh uh-oh, listen to this. If a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness, righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the Scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promises by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. You see what he's saying there? He's saying there that the law was never intended to give us life. Never. That's not the purpose of the Ten Commandments. Well, then what are the purposes? What is the purpose of the Ten Commandments? The purposes of God's law is for you and I to go, wow, that is good. And wow, that God who made those laws is awesome and holy. And I'm sure that God can keep them, but I haven't. My heart bothers me. And I've got conviction, and some of us have guilt that I've not done that. Indeed, every single one of us have failed to keep the Ten Commandments completely. So what is the purpose of it? The purpose of it is to put us right there going, I need help. And when you realize you need help, you look to the God who gave that law and says, what are the promises? Look what he says in verse 23. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. In other words, 
all of the promises of God are fulfilled in Jesus. And when God sent Jesus out of his love for us, and Jesus died on the cross, as Jesus hung on the cross, all of God's law, all of his Ten Commandments were there. They were in mind. They were in place because the world full of people have broken the Ten Commandments. We have sinned against God. And on the cross, God took your sins and put them on Jesus. And as Jesus hung there on the cross, completely and fully perfect and holy and righteous in and of himself, God took all of our broken Ten Commandments, all of our disobedience, and he put that on Jesus. And Jesus died for us so that our hope and our life would be in looking to Jesus on the cross and saying, oh God, will you forgive me of my sins? God, I know that you should be the only God, but I've had idols. God, I know that I should worship you, but I've been distracted. God, I know that I shouldn't take your name in vain, but sometimes I've lied, and sometimes I've been dishonest, and sometimes I've cursed, and God, I know that I should rest, but I'm worn out, and I don't know how to rest. And God, I know that I'm supposed to honor my mom and dad, but that's hard to do. And God, I know that I'm not supposed to murder, but sometimes I hate people, and I know I'm not supposed to commit adultery, but I'm full of so much much lust and it eats me up inside and I know I'm not supposed to steal but there's so many things that I want and God I know I'm supposed to never lie but I've been dishonest before and God on top of all of that inside of me is a raging war of sin and I covet and I covet and I covet and God I like the Ten Commandments and certainly your way is the best way but I've broken the Ten Commandments God and God says that's exactly what they're See yourself, not as somebody that's good, who's trying your best to do them, but be honest and see yourself as somebody who cannot keep the Ten Commandments and realize that God in his great love has sent Jesus, who keeps all of the commandments. He's never sinned, and he took your sins. And God has given you a promise that says, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. God made promises And God has a law. The law is to make us long for the promises. The law is to make us stop saying that I'm so good and we're so good and I don't make mistakes like that and they're so bad and they're the problem. The law is to humble us and cause us to see I need help. And when you finally start humbling yourself, saying I need help, you hear the promises of God that I will be your father in heaven forever. And you can be my child. And Jesus Christ died to save you from your sins. And whoever believes in him will be saved. The Ten Commandments are pretty simple and pretty basic, aren't they? We know them. I hope that you know them. You may not have them memorized, but you know them for the most part. And they are good, and they are helpful, and they are instructive. And anybody who seeks to live by those is going to make the world a better place. And to the extent that a world does, a community does, a state does, a nation does, it'll be a better place. But so much more than that, we haven't kept them. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. May that understanding cause you to look to the promises of God and trust in Christ. If you're not trusting in Jesus, tell somebody. Seek me out. Become a Christian because God's promises are too good for you to not accept them. Let's pray. Father in heaven, 
thank you for your law. It is a tutor, a guardian that leads us to the promises, the Savior. God, thank you that we can be honest about our disobedience to the Ten Commandments. God, we do want to obey them, but at times we don't. All of us have sinned. Father, if we don't know you, work in our hearts that we would trust in Christ for the forgiveness. Oh God, we thank you for your great love and your promises to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.